Welcome back to the Fit CFO Show. I'm your host, Amanda Hanquist, and together with my husband, Sean, we created this podcast as a way to help you reach your business's financial goals. We will break down common financial myths and mistakes in business and share with you the tools and knowledge to take your business to the next level. Our hope is that you'll become financially equipped for success in your business and in turn help our mission to make this world a healthier place. If you get valuable information out of this podcast, we just ask that you please share it with your audience and leave us a review so that we can continue to grow and help health and fitness businesses succeed. On the show, we are talking all things real estate. Historically, real estate has been a great investment option, not only for rental properties, but especially with the rise of vacation rentals. We are going to break down some of the highlights and not so amazing things when it comes to investment properties, otherwise known as the phrase real estate investing. This is the Fit CFO Show. Oh, did you call your dad today? It's dad's birthday. I did. Happy birthday, old man. Good. Happy birthday. I think that is number 67 for the old man. Sean's dad is 67 as we are recording this April 28th. Everybody wish him a happy birthday. Happy birthday, Myron. Speaking of that, I better put my phone on um, do not disturb because I'll probably call 14 times. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely love it, but it's like so many times during the day. When you drive a grain truck all day, I can imagine that you just like, hey, let's just see what everybody's up to. (laughs) Oh, and I so don't mean to be so short sometimes with him, but it's (laughs) like, oh, Um, so I try to utilize my time in between work, like driving back from lunch or coming back to work from lunch to call him when I'm not like in the thick of it. So Uh (laughs) I'm sure I'll miss it someday for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Today on the show, we're talking about all things real estate. Historically, real estate has been a great investment option not only for rental properties, but especially with the rise of vacation rentals, we are going to break down some of the highlights and then some of the not so amazing things when it comes to investing in properties, otherwise known as the sexy phrase, real estate investing. Yeah. And I think we're definitely able to come to you um, with all the listeners as like experience. We've done it. Uh, um, And we've seen the the reward and we've also (laughs) saw the not so good stuff about real estate. So I want to start off by saying anything that has great reward has great risk and probably oh, abso- absolutely. <laughs> so you see these these TikTokers and these people on Instagram like it's the best thing ever. It is. It is really great return on investment but I, you got to like okay where it's again that bell curve which side of the happiness chart are you willing to give and take on for that reward? Yeah. And through the podcast, I'll kind of like bring back like our real estate days and try to tell you what went well, what didn't go well and some things to look out for differently. Yeah. Yes, for sure. So historically real estate has been a really great investment option. And now that we have Airbnb vacation rentals, I mean, that's somewhat new to the market. And so that's, that's another really cool way to elevate, you know, the rental property space or the real estate space. So um, we'll find out years from now, you know, obviously how great it really is because there just hasn't been a lot of history with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that you wanted to start out with a couple of different types. Um, and we're going to talk about that short-term rentals versus long-term rentals and what we should know about that. Yeah. So a lot of times we're going to be talking about real estate, not only on the appreciation and the wealth building factor, but a part of that wealth building factor is like taxes. 
historically, real estate has been a very good um, tax shelter, tax loophole, whatever you want to call it, um, to the investor. So with the new short-term rentals, the Airbnbs that we're seeing, it's allowing some individuals that are not in real estate full-time to start having and reeking, uh, reeking, reaping some awesome tax benefits, um, allowing them to be classified as active investors per the IRS, which means that these investors that are going in and buying short-term rentals, Airbnbs, they're potentially being able to offset their earned income from like their W-2 job or from their other business that's maybe their main thing. So it can be a huge tax benefit because uh, what it does is it reduces your tax liability, which in turn makes your tax bill lower. Right, right. Absolutely. And the only other individuals that get this kind of tax treatment would be active real estate professionals. Yeah. And that's I know their full time thing, that's their main deal. Yeah. I mean, you would have to really be able to sell it to the IRS that you're involved in the real estate business to be able to be deemed a, an active investor. So with that, it becomes uh, more of a, a, a tax benefit than like our traditional just long-term type of rentals with, that we invest in. So when you invest in long-term rentals, um, you're considered a passive investor. Um, and with that is any losses from the property, you can only offset passive income. So, and it's not because long-term rentals, you get a tenant in there and it's kind of set it, forget it type of deal. It doesn't take that much work. It doesn't take a lot of active, um, what do you call it? Like time in there or what's, what's the reasoning? Because I feel like you could be an investor and yeah. have 12, 15, 20. In fact, I, you know, in the insurance world, I worked with a lot of real estate investors that had a ton of rentals. And how do they decide? I mean, 10 rentals, 15 rentals, 20 rentals, the long-term, like well, I, a lot of it comes not active. A lot of it comes down to the tax strategies that people are deploying to reduce their tax bill now versus spreading out the taxes over time, paying what's due year by year. And the IRS have basically probably wants their money now, right? Sure. And so they're not allowing some of these tax strategies for most investors. Yeah. Um, the difference between the active and passive, I think it was meant originally for active real estate professionals that this is their main job. Yeah. Either selling real estate or they only do real estate investing. And now this has become a sexier type of conversation. More people are doing investment properties. So there's some limits on what they can do for taxations. Um, the difference between active and passive and how you can really generate some losses to offset some taxes that, pa that active investors or short-term rental investors get to take advantage of is the accelerated depreciation of some of the property value. So that is a really big benefit of investing in real estate is you get to, you buy this real estate property and you get to depreciate that over a certain period of time. As a long-term investor or a passive investor into real estate, residential properties depreciated out over 27 and a half years, commercial properties and depreciated out over 39 years. So you only can use a certain percentage of the real estate value every year. And that's um, scheduled over 27 years 
in the residential space. So there's not a lot of de depreciation you can use every year. So it's just, it's a lot of times enough to offset some of the income that came from the cash flow, but it's not really generating a lot of losses for. And so, how did that affect people during like 2020 and 2022 when real estate was just absolutely on fire? And then all of a sudden it wasn't anymore. So a tax standpoint, it really didn't affect the real estate investors at all because a lot of that came within with appreciation of the property and the appreciation of the property is not taxed year by year. It's only taxed if you sell it and you don't reinvest it back into real estate. So changed if, if rents weighed, went up and they have additional excess cash flow and more net income then you know they had to pay more taxes and they could have maybe utilized some of these strategies that we're talking about here um, of maybe depreciating some of the property in a shorter time frame to offset any other income right so the idea is on the short-term rentals or being an active investor the sexy part now is i earned um two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of net income from my online coaching business and i don't want to pay forty thousand dollars in taxes yeah. Right. Just easy math there. So I'm going to go out and invest in this Airbnb project and it's a $400,000, $500,000 Airbnb. I'm going to go ahead and have what they call a cost segregation report done, um, basically separating the, the property and, and taking out um, items like plumbing, electrical, sidewalks, fixtures, like the personal property and any kind of improvements that you made on the land and separating that out and allowing you to depreciate over maybe a, a five, seven, or even a 15 year time frame. And with a recent tax code or that came into play in 2017, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act allowed you to accelerate all that depreciation in one year. So like last year it was 100% depreciation um 2023 is 80% and then it goes to 60 and then it goes to 40 and eventually that's fading out but yeah. let's go back to my math here if this year we bought this property it's $500,000 and we were able to get a cost segregation report and identified that it's, it's not going to be identical here but just say 250,000 of it was personal property and land improvements well we could depreciate out 80% of that this year and bring our taxable income down to like $50,000 so that's and, amazing if you are maybe coming onto a property that needs some repairs, additions, or fixes to it. That's some of the items. And it's and some that you can actually go back if you if you haven't done a cost segregation, you can go back years in, in the past and do it and get it done now. So that is what you're gonna be seeing a lot on the headlines of the sexy part of real estate is taking advantage of some of these um, tax strategies. And like I said, and you were mentioning, if you don't have that two hundred fifty or five hundred thousand dollars of net income, some of these strategies are just really not relevant for you, and probably be best to keep building your final, you know, financial foundation before you start going down the like investment real estate. Side. Yeah, and and I guess one of the reasons that I brought that up is because there was an announcement made in one of the groups that I follow about like this huge sexy real estate topic, and you know, the majority of the individuals in that group, it, it just didn't warrant them to really spend any time on this. And I just wanted to elaborate that there's, there's a time and a place for real estate investing, but it really is a little bit more of an advanced strategy. And there are tons of things you can do before you're at that point 
that don't take your time and assets. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's the advantage of being able to be considered an active investor. Um, and then, you know, because if you are a long-term investor, you don't get to utilize and offset that. So you just have to like pay your tax as it goes and it's fine. And yeah. it's still yeah. real estate, still good investment. It's just not benefiting you as much upfront on the taxation side. Yeah. Yeah. And I love um, how you broke down that cost segregation. Um, I think that is super cool. What if somebody is like, oh my gosh, yeah, we have that. We didn't do any of that in the past. What, what are the steps that they need to take in order to um, go back and? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would get pretty um, granular uh, on the far as the strategy, but I would reach out to your financial professionals, your CPA, your accountant, everybody that's on your team and start identifying things that you've done, maybe in the past that you just missed and then having a plan. But essentially they would need to go back to their financial team and say, Hey, I have uh, some properties that we've done some things to in the past. Is there any way we can go back and look at the cost segregation? Yeah. And I just, and even um, not even the cost segregation, but I worked with a client. We just spoke yesterday that um, as of last year, we were able to deem him as like an active real estate professional. And he had like $95,000 of carried over losses he wasn't able to use. So we were able to reduce his um, taxable income by $95,000 last year. I think he paid like $30,000 in tax estimates and he ended up getting a $15,000 refund because we're able to utilize those losses that he's been holding back on the real estate side of things. Uh, so he paid in about 30 and got the $15,000 tax refund um, by able to, by using those past losses that he just couldn't use because he was a passive investor. And yeah, so yeah. it'd be one of those things you can do a year by year. You don't always want, have to be a passive investor. Like you can yeah. just be an active investor on it this year. And then next year, put that property as a passive investment. So it doesn't that's have to be of, one size fits all. Yeah. And that's kind of the point that I was bringing up earlier is there's going to be times where we maybe don't have as much growth in the business. And there are going to be years where we have a ton of growth in the business. And so um, year by year, business by business, every individual situation is just a little bit different. There's there's never a blanket statement for all. Yeah. So we just kind of want to preface like before you go down this real estate route of buying your first property, have a conversation with your tax professional, with other people that are in the industry of, okay, like how do I go about this to maximize the, the tax strategy? Or, or maybe you just want a long-term investment and tax strategy is not really your play here fine, go ahead and, and start seeking out the real estate. But if it's really a tax play, you need to have your professionals involved to make sure you get set up correctly. Yes, absolutely. So let's talk about one thing I did want to talk about is when you hire. So let's say that somebody does have the income, somebody does have the assets to warrant having, you know, real estate investment in their portfolio but they don't necessarily have the time to deal with it. And so they're looking at hiring a property manager. I think um, hiring a property manager is definitely the way to go. Um, I am, we managed our own properties back in the day and I probably wish we would have had a property manager. <laughs> We're still uh, together. So we survived it. <laughs> yeah. But it just kind of depends your personality too. Like me, I, was basically ended up being my fault. They couldn't pay rent because I was too nice of a guy. 
right? Like, so having structure, having some framework around and how hiring someone that's experienced the the interview people that are going to come in and rent your properties. I'm kind of talking more of a long-term rental arrangement right here, but like it just, we were like, Oh, you want to rent our house? Cool. Come in. Like we didn't do all the other stuff that you needed, like a, a, a real estate um, property manager would do. Right. So yeah, like we're going to take a checks, history. Yeah. Check the, all the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? References. Yeah, that took a minute. So yep. you check the references that they um, put down on your application. So definitely. Yeah. And like these are that. things that a property management company is going to do for you. It's kind of like if you hired an HR um, company for your uh, business, if you're looking for an employee, you want to make sure you have the right one. You want to make sure that paying rent is not going to be an issue. You want to make sure they're not going to leave dogs in the basement for yeah. weeks at a time with crap to clean up. <laughs> so true story. <laughs> yeah. So with like our experience, I, I mentioned it was hard for us to get rent just because, you know, we like, we weren't in that industry. I didn't, you know, it wasn't like they just. Well, and I think what you don't realize is, oh, you know, so-and-so they're having a tough month. I understand. Like no big deal. Well, you don't realize they probably gave the previous landlord the same runaround (laughs) crap that they're giving you. And you, you know, you don't really want to be the lay down the hammer kind of person, this guy, but essentially like you got to have systems and processes in place to prevent um, those sorts of tenants being yeah. in and having those issues. So true story. Um, we had to evict a tenant and like, literally they didn't let out their dog for two or three weeks at a time. And I was in the basement with, um, a scoop shovel taking out all the shit. Like yeah. it was literally full of shit, the basement. And you just, I know we made a lot of money on that, but there's more to the story than just making a lot of money. Um, yeah. Yeah. it's a lot of fucking work. Yeah. I mean, that didn't even count that we take, you know, we utilized our personal assets, which at the time before selling the property, we didn't have a ton. We were, we were gambling on it that, you know, Mm -hmm. it was going to be a good, good turn. And then when it was, but at the time when we were spending money to clean up the property, replace carpet, replace flooring, um, you know, fix up the kitchen, paint the walls, all of those things. And then you have a crappy tenant come in, punch holes in the walls, spill on the carpet, leave dogs in the basement for weeks on end. I mean, those are the things that you don't hear about. It's, it's not all unicorns and rainbows and I made all this money. There's a lot of headache that you have to decide. Do I want that headache? Is it going (laughs) to suffer, make my marriage suffer? Am I going to have super late nights where I'm already not there for my children? You know, there's a lot of factors that go into it. There's a lot of gratification, but there's a we lot of, could have, we could have outsourced and hired a property manager at that time, but we just didn't have the money to do it. Like we yeah. had to do all the work ourselves. We had to collect the payment. We had to scoop the shit out of the basement. So you could hire that out, but then it, obviously it would reduce your return on yep. investment. Yeah. So I can't honestly say, I think we made, um, anytime you're just, reducing headache, you're reducing money back. Basically. Right. I mean, I probably made or I say we made $50,000 on one property, um, had it just over a year. That's a phenomenal return, but that's not counting all the nights I spent there till midnight, fixing it up, painting it, 
doing all the bullshit. So what is my time worth? So I think a lot of people think they forget about what their time is worth when they start going down the real estate route, because it's not passive. You're pretty much actively involved most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were getting off of work and going straight there afterwards. And But what about all the time of looking at properties, finding properties, researching them, closings, loans? Um, It just adds up. So it's yeah, yeah, is the return as really as it good um, as you think it is? So you really have to dive into that. Yeah. And, you know, if you're at a point where it's it's maybe just you, you don't have a family yet, you do have good cash flow and and I, now would be the time to do it. Yep. And need some tax strategy. I think it'd be yeah. all right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. So let's talk about, I want to get into just a little bit more of the tax benefits um, yeah, the real estate is really unique. It's, it's a special one. And, and there's a lot of, we talked, we're talking a lot of the pros and cons here, but one of the main advantages of like owning a property is like, you can own it for five, 10 years, depreciate it out. So you get the tax benefit on depreciating it out and the property appreciates I mean, real estate for the most part is always appreciating. And so that asset appreciates and now you want to maybe upgrade your real estate portfolio, buy more expensive properties or move from residential to commercial someday. Um, or, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but a lot of times, and what I'm going to talk about is um, you can transfer the gains from a property to a like, um, like a, a, a property that is like in kind, like the same type of property. Right. So if you and, have a single family home, you can transfer to another single family home. Yeah. And a multifamily home has to be a multifamily home. And you can avoid the the growth on that. And now you just put that into the new property and you've never paid any taxes or any capital gains on that. So it's a pretty sweet yep. deal. Um, that is like called a 1031 exchange, if you ever heard of it. And then there's also a little bit more advanced strategies that are out there, like creating trust and some investment funds that can house your money before you reinvest it into another property. But there's some timeframes involved and there's some nuances, but it's a great way that you can keep transferring the growth from property to property without paying the taxes. Yeah. And so that's, I guess what I wanted to bring up is it's not all bad. We're not trying to just paint this negative, bad picture, but what we want you to realize is that with great reward does come great risk. And there's a lot of great reward here. And so that's- Yeah, and just understanding the full story behind it is I think the purpose of this podcast for sure. Um, You get, we've mentioned at the beginning quite a bit about the depreciation of the property. That is a main um, tax component. And then also like all your expenses are right out. So like, it just works like a business. You got the income and you got the expenses. So you can offset your income with all the expenses and not hopefully pay as much of um, income tax on the property because you can offset it with expenses. Yep. Yep. And my favorite one is asset leverage. Yeah. So kind of moving a little away from taxes, but more or less another like major benefit of real estate is a lot of people use leverage to be able to buy probably, this is not the word, but you buy more than you can afford, right? You're going to use someone else's money to buy the property or a big percentage of the property. So you don't have to invest all your money in that one property. I Um, like it because it is probably the second closest thing to cash that the banks like to see. If you have asset leverage, the banks like that because it's nice and safe and cozy for them. 
Yeah. So they're, they, they lend on it pretty easily, mm -hmm. 70 to 80% of the value of the property. So just speaking, you may have to come up with 20%, 30%. Like you said, you have to be careful though, because you don't want to, you know, go outside your means because it is easy to leverage. Right. I, so you are getting appreciation on a property that you didn't hundred percent have to pay for. So you got, you're using the bank's money to buy this property and that property is appreciating. So you're able to like extend your money. It's like dollars on yep. top of dollars. Yep. So you're only putting 80 or you're only putting like 20% down. The bank's putting up 80% of the property. And then from there, the beauty of this is someone else is paying the bank's rent. Like, so your rent is paying the mortgage on the property. So, well, and let's say that you, you bought a house in, I don't know, December of 2019 for $200,000. And then all of a sudden in 2022, you do a reevaluation of that property. And, and now all of a sudden it's $300,000. You literally just made a hundred thousand dollars by doing absolutely nothing. And you probably had most of that borrowed on the bank's dollar. Yeah. So now you just made a hundred thousand dollars, maybe on your original $20,000 investment. Yep. I mean, that's amazing. And that's, that's leverage. Mm -hmm. Now with leverage, as you mentioned, comes significant risk yep. because someone has to pay the bank. You know, hopefully it's your renter um, that is making the mortgage payment and paying all the bills. But if they yeah, can if get another paid, 2020 hit and the government says, hey, you guys don't have to pay your your rent. Y'all are good. What is the landlord supposed to freaking do? Um, it's not the bank's problem. I think some banks worked with some landlords during that period of time, but at the end of the day, it's the landlord's responsibility to pay the mortgage. Yep. So if you don't have the cash flow, you don't have the rents coming in, who the hell is going to pay that mortgage for you? Yeah. If you inadvertently bought an Airbnb and it's maybe not the prime location you thought it was, or maybe something right. significant happened in the area and now it's not a prime location and you're stuck with it. So there's, there's the significant portion of risk that yeah. you need to watch out for. So just, you know, make sure as you're leveraging debt that you have other means to maybe cover that debt and you're very diversified. So yep. if something did happen that you could step in and, and survive for a period of time, but some people are month to month on this and they wouldn't be able to survive six months of no rents. Yeah. And on top of, of the AC unit, AC unit, excuse me, the AC unit went out and that was another $12,000. Like- right. Where's all that money going to come from if you're not getting the rents? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because you're going to ultimately be responsible for home repairs for, I don't know, like an insurance company comes around and says, hey, you have a broken, I don't know, railing fence, whatever. You got to fix it. Yeah, absolutely. So leverage, it can be your best friend and <laughs> could be your worst enemy sometimes yeah. too. Yeah. Another thought that I had was um, when, so in 2019, I had my, actually it was 2018. I had my insurance agency and I had a lot of landlords that I, um, insured and, you know, we had a huge hailstorm come through that year in June of that year. And there were people that had 15 different properties. You have a thousand dollar deductible for each property. Do you have $15,000 to pay for, you know what I mean? Plus other, other yeah. things, right. Deductibles. So those are just things you want to make sure why it's, it's great to have this, but it's also, again, an advanced strategy because you do need to have excess cash to afford yeah. when those types right. of significant things happen.
Yeah. So I guess when we look at it, the long-term return of real estate has been phenomenal. And a lot of that is because you've been leveraging your cash with debt to yep. buy um, bigger properties than you could probably afford just with your cash. Um, so leverage has been a, a friend of a lot of real estate investors for most of history. And there's been some times that people have gotten in trouble and we'll talk about that here later on in the podcast, but leverage has been awesome. Yeah. We just talked about, yeah. Do you have returns are good over a long time leverage? Do you have the capacity to take on that amount of risk and that amount of time too? Um, everything makes sense until like you said, a 2008 happens. Yeah. Uh, you know, and before then all the financial gurus out there would be like property value is never going to go down. It's never, I guess for those down. of you, I guess for those of you that were like, six years old when 2008 was around. Let's talk about what yeah. 2008 was. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was definitely a hard landing. There was blood in the streets. That's right. Uh, when you were doing um, the- I was doing a lot of uh, subprime lending and lending during that time yep. too. But uh, at that point in time, that, that was one of the first times in history that property values had decreased. Yeah. And a lot of properties were 20 to 30 cents on the dollar of the value of when people bought them and foreclosures were high and it was a nightmare in the housing so for, market. So for investors that actually had a lot of money and had the ability, they, I mean, shoot, they really were able to leverage their cash at that time. But the people that were, you know, month to month, they, they, they were the ones that foreclosed and, and really had a hard yeah. go. Like one property, I think it was bought. Um, I'm just talking our local economy. It's like it was a hundred, let's call it nineteen, hundred nineteen, hundred twenty thousand dollar house. I think I bought it on the foreclosure at what twenty eight or thirty thousand yeah. dollars. I mean, yeah, that well, that's was when we kind of started rolling up our sleeves and trying to get into a little bit, which was really great for us at the time. We were able to make a significant amount of cash, but again, came with a lot of headaches too. Yeah. Um, so. Pro, I guess just pre on preface, like property values can go down. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> and, know that. and you were saying like, so let's, let's take a step back for a second. So prior to 2008, I mean, what were all the quote unquote financial gurus telling the general population at the time? Well, they were telling you to go out and leverage your house, refinance it, take money out. Your property's always going to appreciate. So then you had out you had out there lending companies lending 120% loan to value. So 20% yeah. more than what your property is worth. That you could take out a home equity loan or refinance credit card debt or buy vehicles. And the lenders like, well, we're going to be fine. Was, the house and it was appreciate. going crazy. It was happening mm -hmm. like crazy. Yep. And then so when people stop not being able to make those payments, then the values just kept going down and down because of all the foreclosure and the housing supply was up and people couldn't afford their payments. And um, property values, yeah, in a lot of places just went down by 50, 60, 70%. It was unreal. Um, so it can happen. And, and I guess where we're at now today, over the last three years, I'd have to say in most parts of the economy, housing went up 30, 40%. Yeah. And three years, unprecedented time. I just want to look at that. It's like, will we even will we be able to even maintain where the property values are now with 
the increased interest rates because as they were skyrocketing the last three or four years, rates were at zero. Now let's call it, I you know, you could get a loan for three, 4%. Now they're six, 7%. Rates have really gone up. Um, so what's going to happen when people needs to like, maybe they're going to move, but now when they move, they have to go to this um, new loan. They're going to buy another property with an increased interest rate. Yeah, uh, They have to sell their property. And what's going to happen if property values decrease because we just came out of this economic time of this boom, they might not be able to sell their property for what well, they and I And I feel like another thing that, that happened that, that became more of an allowable norm is people really suddenly started living outside of their means overnight after the stimulus was being pumped into the economy. I feel like people were buying more of a vehicle than they could afford, more of a home than they could afford. I mean, my gosh, you go, you go online now and you can have the world at your fingertips. And I just really feel like it's kind of getting to a point where, you know, obviously we're segueing here out of, out of, um, specific real estate, but I think it, it all narrows down to the same thing is you really do need to take a step back for a second and realize like uh, live within your means, yeah. buy the property within your means. Um, don't get stars in your eyes and, and shoot for the moon on this kind of stuff. But yeah, but the problem was, is just everything increased, you know, increased by 30 to 40%. Um, and now interest rates have rised and now we have seen real estate, um, lose value over the last six to nine months will it keep going um yeah. now we have um higher property values so our real estate taxes are going to be higher um look at the commercial space as well you know a lot of those loans are on five and seven year balloons that might have been at four percent when you took it out three to four years ago well now your note is going to renew at seven percent eight percent nine percent who knows what rates are going to be yeah and you don't know and if you can even afford that payment at that new right your payment rate. could be three four five thousand dollars higher than it was are you ready for that kind of transition so that's where i feel like there could be blood in the streets again when people can't maybe afford the payment um you know i'm hoping and praying that we can avoid a major recession and we can you know curb inflation and get interest rates back down a little bit. But if they don't, I have a, you know, I don't want to put a forecast out here, or say they, they are values are going to go down, but it, it sure seems like where we're at in economic times that property values could decrease. And then that could equal a lot of problems again, just like we had in say 2008 to that severity. I don't know, but I think where we're at, we could see property values go down. Yeah. Well, they just increased so rapidly. It just didn't even really make sense. And so it's got to, something's got to give at some point. And, and I don't have a crystal ball. Like maybe we can at least sustain and then start appreciating again, but I think that could get a little bit uglier before it gets better. Yeah. And we are going to have a whole nother podcast. That's actually going to be our next topic is, is the talk about the recession. Um, well, that Sean and I do, I have a couple other ones that we're going to be releasing before then, but, um, so let's talk about some of the intriguing attributes. Um, I know we're kind of getting a little carried away on time here, but, um, there's just so much to talk about pertaining to real estate. Um, mm -hmm. but let's touch on the next couple of, of headlines that you have written down here. Yeah, so appreciation has been awesome with real estate over the course of time. Um, three to five percent property appreciation year over year. Um, obviously, you know, 2008 happened, um, could happen again. But if you are a long term real estate investor, you're going to have 
three to 5% appreciation over time. Cause I'm convinced property values 20 to 30 years from now are going to be higher than they are today. Like it's always going to appreciate over time. Um, so that, that is an awesome thing about real estate. And then one thing we really hadn't talked much about is uh, cash flow. So of the property you have rents received. And if the rents receive is covering the debt service and covering the operations or the expenses of the property, now you have positive cash flow that you can use for your household income. You could use, um, and most people use that positive excess cash flow to buy additional property. Yeah. So like, let's say, for example, you have everything included, your payment, your insurance, all of the things, let's say you're a thousand dollars a month and you're charging your, um, your tenant $1,800 a month. You've got an additional $800 of excess cash flow every single month that you can stash right. away. Most of the time, I don't see investors pay down the loans. They normally save up you know, buy another property and keep expanding from there. And eventually when you get a big enough portfolio of real estate property, a lot of times you're not even having to come with down payment anymore because they're going to put a blanket lien on like all your properties and the properties, like I said, appreciate over time. So you get enough um, properties in your portfolio. You don't have to come with a down payment, which is beautiful. Like now you're reinvesting and buying more properties without using your own cash. Well, and it's, and it's great because I mean, why wouldn't you, if you're at a two, 3% interest rate on these properties, I mean, shoot as well. Yeah. And it could change with higher interest rates, but most of the time you're buying more properties, expanding your portfolio, which is a beautiful thing. Yep. Um, absolutely. Now, but we, we do want to talk um, and, and we, we kind of addressed this earlier, but just really want to know like real estate is not as passive as you think about it, you know, like people think it is, it's a lot of work. Um, and without a lot of work with the appreciation and the cash flow and the leverage, I think you can expect above average returns from other type of investment vehicles. It's not like giving your financial advisor a hundred thousand dollars and letting him do his thing. Like that is truly passive. Like mm -hmm. you're passing it off. Someone else is doing investments they're over time going to do well, but how can you really expect that to do as well as something that you're actively involved in? And well, and ask somebody if, if you are interested in real estate investing, I would encourage you to ask somebody who is 100% removed from making money off of you for real mm -hmm. estate. Yeah. That's somebody that is, that has done it, that is doing it, that is involved, that knows what it is and can give you firsthand their opinion or at least their insight. So that way you can take both ends. You're hearing this, the amazing positives from the person that could potentially make money on you, but then you're also hearing somebody that's completely removed from your pocketbook. And yeah. there's a lot of this stuff going on. Yeah. I think that could go both ways. Like you might not want to go see your life insurance agent because they might want to put your money in a infinite banking policy. You might not want to see right. the real estate agent because they might want to sell your property. You might not want to go see your financial advisor because he might just say, hey, let's do investments instead because that's how he makes his money. So you need to search out a professional that gets paid in a model or could at least give you a, a consultation on um, something that ha doesn't have like the conflict of interest. Oh, you mean like a fiduciary? Oh yeah. One of those. <laughs> oh, Hey, you're one of those, aren't you? <laughs> but anyways, just you know, watch where you're getting your advice from. Um, three things that we look for in real estate um, in the cash flow side of things and their KPIs that you're going to want to know about your bank's going to want to know about. 
The first one is going to be debt um, coverage ratio. You want it to be about 1.2% of the actual payment. So if you have a $1,000 um, mortgage payment, you're going to want to have like $1,200 of, of net income coming in to cover that debt. I think that's so great to have like different KPIs that you can kind of look at because I think the biggest thing with any of this is where do I freaking start? And so if you kind of have just a number of, okay, here's what I know I can afford. And based off of it being a 1.2 or greater, you know, debt coverage payment, yeah. then I know that this is the property that I can afford. What well, makes you do your homework? Yeah. Okay. So in the last three to four years, I've been trying to deploy quite a bit of money in real estate. And it's very, it's been very hard to find anything that has a positive debt service coverage ratio. Yeah. Right. So just make sure you do your homework and is it covering its debt? Is there a positive? Well, especially right now. And it might be a situation where maybe this year, next year, it's not that great, but maybe once, you know, we're not worried about recession, interest rates have calmed down, yeah. values have calmed down, maybe two years from now, it might be a better time. Yeah. So look at that service um, coverage ratio. Cap rate is another one that you're going to hear out there. Um, that's basically looking at um, the net income from the operations, not factoring in your debt service, and then dividing that by the purchase price. Let's talk about what you mean by debt service. So debt service would be the mortgage payment, the principal and interest of the payment. Okay. So the 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 net from operations, let's just say you got your your revenue, your your rent coming in, and then you got real estate taxes, you got insurance. cleaning service, insurance, that net's down. And we're going to take that number and divide it by the purchase price. And that gives you your cap rate, not yeah. factoring in debt with the cap rate. Yeah. So cap rate's a good one. You know, back in the day, you'd want to hit eight to 10%. Not sure where they're at. I had a hard time finding anything that made sense in the last three years. Um, but look at the net from operations divided by the purchase price that would give you your cap rate. And you're going to be able to know all this before you actually buy the property, right? So you can do your homework to make sure it makes sense. The so real estate you provide if somebody that. is, if somebody like meets all the great criteria for being a solid real estate investor, they want to get into this, but they're just like, what the hell yep. you're, you're speaking a foreign language here. Is this something that you do for your clients? Like some of this type of research for them? I or do all the analysis. Yep. Okay. I do all the analysis. They just find the property and then I, I go to work and do the homework um, for them. But, but like, these are just things you need to know, right. In order to make an informed decision yep. when it comes to numbers are the numbers. They don't lie. Yeah. I think people see the return over time, but they didn't really focus on the returns. Now they just see that they have this property. It's worth a couple hundred thousand. It's paid off. They didn't have to use their own you know, money necessarily, but how good was that actual return? These right. are the KPIs that actually show the return of that property. Yeah. With the blood, sweat and tears that you put in and maybe yeah. you, when all is said and done and the dust settled, you actually only made $10,000. Is it really worth it? And then there's a, another KPI. The third one would be like a return on cash. So obviously we're going to use leverage, but we're going to pay 20% down. So we're going to see, okay, what kind of return am I going to get on my cash? So um, we're going to look at the net cash after operations and after debt service, whatever that num net number is, and we're going to divide it by our down payment. That's how we'll know what kind of return did we get on our cash down payment. Because would have been better to put that in a S&P 500 fund, would have been better to invest it back in our business, would have been better to do somewhere else. That's where you could do the ratio of the return on your cash. 
Um, like I said, the last three to four years, I haven't found anything that really even had a positive return on my cash. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that's why I haven't been diving into real estate. And you know what's even funnier? The joke's on me, right? Because there was nothing on paper three years ago that was going to tell you that the property was going to appreciate by 30 to 40%. Yeah. Right. These were all, like I said, cash flow KPIs. Yep. Right. To know that if you're making a smart investment with your cash. And there is sometimes, sometimes there is just instinct, right? And yeah, like that's so what I'm just saying. Do all the sometimes, variables play out? Do I have yeah. cash in the bank to afford it? Do I have a successful business that I can pay my bills with? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes so, at the end of the day, it is sometimes an instinct thing. Yeah. So like looking at the numbers, nothing made sense to go yeah. out and buy, but who would have known that we were going to appreciate by 30 to 40% over the last three or four years. That's just something you can't factor in. Right. That's the markets. Well, it's kind of like a football player that can just read the field, read the play. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. at the end of the day, those people that are avid investors when it comes to real estate and they can just, they can just read it. They yeah. instinctual, maybe they've screwed up a few times, but for the most part, it, it's been good for yeah. them. But I can say at the end of the day, as fast as it went up, it can go down just as fast or faster. Yeah. So the numbers do need to make sense. Yep. I know like I probably struck out the last three years, not knowing the appreciation, but I was sticking to my financial foundation. Right. Well, I think that comes from you being, you know, a financial planner. You're very analytical. You have to study the numbers. You are looking at people's best interests. And, yep. you know, there are, we all know those um, savvy real estate investors that practically own the whole town and they're just, you know, they're just good at it. Like that's their primary thing. Right. Um, but the end of the day, the numbers didn't lie. Yeah. Right. They, they went in and bought the investment knowing that there was no ROI, no return on their cash, no return on the cash flow. But they it could, afford, but they could that, afford it. At yes. That time. And they just knew that they were going to hold it for 10, 20, 30 years. So this time shall pass basically. Yeah. They weren't looking right. for a quick, fix. but and I can say it goes, it goes back to a Warren Buffett quote, right? When the tide goes out, you're going to be seeing who's been swimming naked. Right. So <laughs> when the tide goes out, you'll see who's been swimming naked. So all the SOBs that made all this money and our gurus in the last two or three years, because they didn't look at the cash flow and the KPIs they just bought because they thought it was a good idea. They're going to be swimming naked. And when the properties go down 20 or 30%, that's when someone that looks at the numbers are going to swoop in and how they create long-term wealth. I'm going to be using that quote. <laughs> yeah. It's a good one. It's a long-term like one. So I that's guess a good one. but that's just to say like real estate investing is not to make a quick buck overnight. It, you know, sometimes you're buying when, uh, economy is low. Sometimes you're, you yeah. know, making not the best decisions, but if you're looking at things over 10, 15, 20 years, you're building your long-term portfolio. You're going to be fine. As long as the, like you said, the numbers make sense. Yeah. Most of the time you're buying real estate for a long-term play. Now the house flipping and, People have created big businesses on flipping houses and have made a lot of money. And I think that has a place. Yep. But for the most part, wealth has been created with real estate by owning it for decades. And so generational wealth off of that. So let's, I guess, bring this back around. Um, 
you know, we're going to go ahead and, and bring this to an end, but a lot of amazing things that we talked about today. Historically, real estate has been amazing investment, you know, vacation rentals, Airbnb, VRBO, that kind of stuff has been somewhat newer to the market. Um, there's a time and place for all of it. Know the risk, know that anything that is a flashy, beautiful reward comes with significant risk mm -hmm. or it comes with significant headache. You're always exchanging something. Nothing is ever too good to be true. Nothing in this world is, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think overall, to sum it up, I think real estate should and can belong in about everybody's portfolios. Just understand what you're doing and know the numbers and the risks that you're taking on. And I think everybody can be successful at it. Yep, absolutely. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in. If you like this episode, please be sure to subscribe and turn on your notifications so that you don't miss a beat. We'd love it if you'd share this podcast, your Instagram story, your Facebook page, or any of your other social media platforms so that we can help other health and fitness entrepreneurs out there succeed in business. We so appreciate you listening in. And until next time, keep your goals high, but keep each step attainable.